Welcome to First Generation Burden, a podcast dedicated to immigrants in the creative community. My name is Rich Tu, and I'm your host. So we're starting season eight. We are back. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're time jumping almost a year after our last episode. So if you're listening in order and you're like, what's this guy talking about? There you go. But breaks are good. And I encourage all of you to take breaks to rejuvenate your spirit. We're starting off this season with a series of really special episodes and more about that in a second. But a couple of life updates first. This year, the show, First Gen, has gotten some love in the offseason. We've gotten a few mentions in the press, like in LA Weekly, so thanks to that team. And also, we got to partner with the One Club on the Colorful Grant, which is designed to promote opportunities for young BIPOC creatives of color. Thanks to Sean Wang, or congrats to Sean Wang, really, uh, the winner of that grant, um, and also who was crowned a young gun this year. So it seems like the award and grant are doing what they were supposed to do. Also, I collaborated with Mini Cooper and the American Immigration Council on a very cool project where I got to design a car top uh, that you can purchase and a part of the proceeds go to the American Immigration Council. So link in the description for that. Really cool stuff. Really proud of that one. So for today's episode and season eight premiere, we have Daniel Buezo, the co-founder of Kids of Immigrants, the fashion and streetwear brand. I've been a huge fan of what that team does, so it's really great to start here. And also that brand started in 2016 and this podcast started in 2016, which we talk about a little bit. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, but we talk uh, with Daniel about growing up in a first gen Honduran family, the importance of showing love and how he and his partner, Wale Dennis, created a fast rising upstart fashion brand that's for the people. This is such a dope conversation, and I'm just very, very excited that they're here. And this is the first of four collaborative episodes with the OG magazine. And shout out to Che Morales, former FGB guest, uh, and Sarah and that whole crew. It's the first time that we've put these interviews in written form, and this magazine will have the first four episodes of this season uh, in the magazine. So uh, it looks really great. And it'll be available in limited quantities. Link in the description to the OG. And if you're in Miami this week during Art Basel, uh, which if you're listening in chronological order, that's this week, you can try to snag some physical copies, IRL. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button and drop a review. It makes a difference. So without further ado, Season 8, First Generation Burden. Here's our conversation with Daniel Boizo, co-founder of Kids of Immigrants. Is it video? Or no just, video. Like, I just doing it for straight words, right? Okay, put a better hat on some shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you look great, brother. Thank you, brother. Daniel Buezo, thank you so much for joining us for the special first gen burden and the OG magazine collaboration. You are one of the co-founders of Kids of Immigrants. Uh, it's a brand. It's a movement, and it's a revolution. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm uh, you know, the, these type of talks. I don't even need to prepare for it. This is my life. This is who I am. This is what I eat, live, live and breathe. So um, I'm excited to be here. Love that. And I appreciate you. Uh, so the way we start all these conversations is, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from? Uh, specifically, I would love to hear a little bit about growing up in a first generation Honduran household. I'm from born and raised in Brooklyn. Uh Moved to North Plainfield when my parents divorced. Um, You're a Jersey guy? Get out of here. Yeah, Plainfield. Whoa, okay. I'm a Jersey guy too. Yeah, Plainfield, New Jersey. Um, So I I went from, I lived in New Jersey from 13 to 18. Very important years growing up. um, And moved back to New York when I was 18. Um, I attended LIU 
downtown Brooklyn. Uh, they had a, a special outreach program for residents of Bushwick. So if you lived in Bushwick, you don't have to necessarily have all those prerequisites or whatever to qualify to get into LIU. It's like you're automatically in. They wanted to get more people from the neighborhood at LIU. Um, that was uh, my parents are from Honduras. Um, both migrated here, migrated to, to Brooklyn, to Bushwick specifically. And my pops was like 86. My mom's like 87. Um, they migrated to Brooklyn. And um, like all, like many first generations, uh, just American, you know, I, I feel like you have like this dual upbringing of like at home, you're like, you're from your country, you know, I'm being, I'm being raised like I'm a kid in the village in Honduras, like the ass whoopings are different, the food is different, you know, the, the, I'm gonna send you back to Honduras. And, you know, when I was your age, I used to walk three miles just to wash my clothes. And, you know, all those references that make you feel like shit, like, damn, I don't, I'm not, I must not appreciate life right now. I grew up like that, um, very tight family, you know, but also like, like many first generation families, we may grow up considerably or relatively poor or low income, but you know, you never really feel it. You always, there's always food on the table. You know, I may not have had Jordans growing up, but I did have, you know, you know, I went from Payless to the Grant Hill Felis and all that. So it was it was a step forward every time. You know, literally everything that you're saying right now is such a reference like smorgasbord of like everything. You're hitting like <laughs> Chase Pleasure Center is so hard right now from Bushwick to yeah. Jersey to uh, Felis. Like that's so dope. Anyway. Nah, for real. I mean, imagine uh, how I felt when I met my co-founder, Wella, who's he's from Sacramento. His parents are from Liberia. So we're both from two different coasts of the country. Our parents from two different places in the world. And we're like, yo, how, how do we have all these similarities? Like, you know, maybe the food is a little bit different, uh, you know, but at the same time, we had so many similar moments of like, yo, my parents, too. Like, I, we always talk about how his father and my father are super like, you know, uh, just very quiet. They all they know is, you know, put food on the table. You know, don't complain. You don't really express your feelings. You don't. It's, you know, love to them is is like, you know, I'm putting food on the table. You got a roof on your head. I don't need to show you how I love you. I, I already do it. You know, so having that masculine, you know, level of like just, you know, I think especially my father was born in 1949. So his generation, um, you know, he was the, his father died when he was 10 and he became the head of the house. He was the oldest kid. At 10 years old, he quit school and just, you know, worked for his for his younger siblings and his mom. So, you know, I I saw that like me and Wella had all those like similar moments. And, you know, his parents being African, my parents being from Honduras, I was like, wow, like 
if we feel like this, I know all of my Honduran family feels like this, plus all the Latinos that I know feel this same similar way. That's when, you know, we really he he said it first. He was like, yo, kids of immigrants. I think that was like eight years ago. So at that time, I didn't even know how that translate into like a brand or a movement or anything like that. And then it yeah. took a few more years of thinking of it. How did you get to Sacramento? How'd you go from the East Coast to the West Coast? And then how did you get into the creative space? He met, we met in the Bay. I'm, I went to school in Norfolk State University in Virginia. Uh, it's a HBCU down there. Uh, I went to school for social work. Um, that was sort of like what I, I didn't know. It's not what I wanted to do as a profession, but it's just what I wanted to do in my life. It's like, how do I find a way to help, to elevate, to uplift, empower, and all that type of shit? I think growing up in Brooklyn and even growing up in New Jersey um, as a first generation, as a Latino, a person of color, going through situations that may have seemed unfortunate at the time. Um, I say it's not, I don't think they're unfortunate anymore because it's what got me to where I'm at now. So I'm grateful for those sort of poor experiences in my life of just being targeted, of being arrested, of being all that type of shit. So, you know, being in Rikers Island and all that crazy shit, you know, made me want to be like, y'all, how can, if I'm in the system already, and I know, you know, a lot of these things were unfair to me, how can I do something to, to help other people? And it wasn't necessarily like help the world. It was just like, just even like my own community, my own people, my own circle. Went to school for social work, graduated social work and moved to San Francisco, where David Ali, who was one of my childhood friends, lived for, at that time, he's was there for like seven years and I graduated college. I didn't really want to go into the social work like field of like social services. Um, so I moved to uh, San Francisco, like, fuck it. Why not? My best friend's here. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to do styling more than anything. That's what made me move to California mostly. And David Ali introduced me to Wella cause they won't both went to school together. Art school, fashion school. Like when you get, when you say styling, like that's not necessarily in a cut and sew space just yet, right? No, I, I was working at Nordstrom's. So I was doing personal styling there and I was like good at it. And I was like, okay, maybe what if this is a profession? And I was getting paid like Nordstrom's because because it's all commission based. So if you're selling a lot of shit, you know, there's people making six digits at Nordstrom's that are not managers. There's just. Oh, yeah, set. I believe it. I totally believe it. That's a career path. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, that's when I moved to North. I went from Norsham's in Virginia to Norsham's in San Francisco. When you started Kids of Immigrants back in 2016, and you say that the uh, Wele first coined the term Kids of Immigrants eight years ago amongst your community, amongst your team, what did what was the revelation there? And also, could you speak a little bit about what the climate was like at 2016? I, I mean, we all know it's like pure Trump. You know, Trump versus Hillary. And also this podcast started in 2016, too. So and out of a desire to put respect on the on the word immigrant. Can you speak a little bit about your POV in 2016? And also what was the inciting incident to 
get the brand off the ground. That that's dope. We both started in 2016. Yo, 2016 was a crazy year. Yeah. So uh met well in 2013. That's when he first mentioned kids of immigrants. Uh that was in San Francisco. I moved to LA 2014 and he moved 2015. Uh in 2015 is when we were like kids of immigrants, um, mostly because of the area we, that I lived in, which was, uh, it's called Pico Union in LA. And it's, um, it's just a, a, like most uh, inner cities, it's just a, it was a, a neighborhood of different immigrants. So K-Town is right next to us. So you have, you know, the, the Korean uh, just community and then a lot of Salvadorians, a lot of Mexicans. So when I was in that neighborhood, I just felt like, yo, these people look like my family. Um, these people remind me of my family. I think we used to look at street, like, no cap. Street vendors was uh, probably a main source of inspiration because at that time, me and Wella tried to create something for the past two years, and we always had an excuse as to why this wasn't working or as to why, like, oh, like, we're trying to figure it out and looking at them. It was, was it still streetwear brand at the time? Uh, no, we were working. I was working on his brand and it was well as the real artisanal person behind kids immigrants. Um, he's an artist at the time. He was just uh, hand making leather goods. So we were doing that. And um, ironically enough, we started the brand way before we, Trump was even an idea as a president. Like we knew he was going for presidency, but it wasn't like realistic. I think mid like summer 2016 was when everybody was like, oh shit, this motherfucker might win. Um, so, but like it, it didn't get real to like that time. So um, when we started, which was officially launched, this we started like the Instagram and shit like that early 2016, and then officially launched the website May 2016. What were the first pieces you launched with? Uh, we launched with a with a lo- with a love shirt. Uh, internally, that was our thing. It's like let's make love the coolest shit ever. Um, at that time, it was like all these brands were out, and you know, I, I love streetwear i love the hype world uh, i think vetmont had made a shirt like saying like fuck you and and we were like yo this doesn't make sense in a way <laughs> like it's dope but it doesn't make sense at least to what our intentions are as a community and everything we've been through um so we were like there's not enough shirts that say positive message at least in a cool ass way i think you see like a shirt, you know, uh, if you go to, to a beach, you might see a shirt that says love, but it's just not fire, you know? Right. There's so no I meaning think, behind that particular love shirt. There's meaning behind right. your love shirt. Right. We were just determined. I think living in that area, I was just like, yo, we got to do this. And I think I also, I think we realized that in those past three years, as much as we were trying different things, some things were fade away and they just, you know, sometimes you get excited about an idea and then a week later you're like, ah, it's all right. It's whatever. Like I'm not even, the momentum kind of leaves. Um, I think one thing we realized was that no matter what, I'm going to be a kid of an immigrant tomorrow, yesterday, even if this was something that only exists for 
a day or a month or a year, I still did something that actually represented who we are, who I am and who many of us are. Um, and I think that's when it was like, yo, this is this is that time. Um, and then when the the pol political climate started just fire, like getting crazy the way it did, it it sort of was like one of those things for me more than anything that affirmed like we need to be here. Like we're not our voice is not being heard enough, not through just for us. It wasn't really politically. It was just even just through culture in itself. Um, I've never, never seen anyone in the in the space of like a Honduran like idol for me. You know, I yeah, it was rare. So I think it was just like, nah, this this is the time to do it. One thing that we didn't do, not because we didn't feel that way, was just go on the fuck Trump campaign. Right. Actually, that's a that's a really great point, and I think it's important to stress here is that never in the history of the brand that I've seen as a third person looking in, I've never seen KOI go that route and it feels very purposeful. So your message is really about inclusivity and belonging and community. It feels like it's really like so deep in the DNA and I actually really applaud you for the not going the fuck Trump route. Yeah. I think everybody has their own way to fight the, the fight. You know, I don't, I think the people who did go that route, it, great I, I felt like i saw a lot of people use that as a fire to start a business to start their own revolution and i think it's great i think for us that just wasn't our way to fight um i'm very like what can i do about this not like necessarily like hey you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong and that's why we're here it's like no i'm here and what can i do to go one step forward um Again, like I respect how everybody fights the good fight, um, but that was just our way of doing it. And it was crazy because this was year one. This is within a few months of the brand. Like we had we had like big artists being like, yo, make a fuck Trump shirt. I'm wearing it on stage tomorrow. And I felt like it could have been what, you know, those moments that I, we we always talk about it. we're like that could have been a million dollar shirt right there like we just run it the fuck up you know and but then i think because of the longevity and what we truly wanted to represent um we didn't want to be known for that we didn't want to i think 2016 as i'm glad you guys started this in 2016 i feel like just the conscious the collective conscious of us as people has shifted and elevated where we're like hold on we can't you know especially with the with the kids and the youth so i think it was the fact that i started in 2016 i think that just made it much more special right now because it it shows like now it's almost mainstream or just straight up marketing techniques of like hey let's think about mental health and let's think about people of color and let's think about this and which is there, great there KPIs attached to it for sure. There's a dollar yeah. sign attached to it, which I it's there's pros and there's cons with that. Yeah, it is yeah. nice to be seen at least on a, on a marketing level. But facts, facts. I'm, I, I'm more like, cool, like whatever. This is, this is sort of your new take on what the narrative is. This is what I'm about. I have a question in terms of some of the collabs that you've done is, and you have a, such a wide range. Um, like, 
the Vans collab, the recent one that just dropped. I actually got a pair. I think we have a mutual friend, Olivia Zhao from Greenhouse. Oh, fire. Yeah, that's a homie. Yeah, exactly. So Love Live. She sent me a pair and I just love the the textural mismatch and also feel so familiar to me as someone who was in footwear uh, creation over at the swoosh for a couple of years. It it feels like in, an, in the best way, like my grandmother's house, my Lola's house, because yeah. there is such a richness and a specificity of the details and the panel structure and all these little things. Um, but also you've done, you know, collab with Hey Arnold. That's a Nickelodeon collab and everything that you said about the kids. And, you know, it's very family friendly, different energy, different tone. How does wow. kids of immigrants um, pick and choose the collaborations that you that you're a part of? And also, do you have a philosophy about that? Thank you for the shoe. Uh, uh, just compliments, because that's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to represent sort of like what we, we consider like a tacky grandma's living room. Like, you know, you, you think about living rooms and interior design now, you know, in the mid-century, minimal, like, you know, you go into somebody's living room, it's only a couch, and it's like, yeah, just, you know, very minimalistic point of view. Yeah, it's like, does anyone live here? I have no idea if people actually <laughs> exist in this space. Yeah, so I think it's the opposite for us. Like, growing up, it was so much shit in the living room, especially, like, my either, like, aunts or parents, and it's just, like, Hoarding is kind of a thing, low key, because like you. you I was actually just going to say hoarding right before you said hoarding. I was going to mention hoarding. (laughs) Yeah, it's like they don't know how to let go of certain things. And it's and and there's significant pieces. So I get it, especially like those pieces that came from, you know, the homeland. Um, So I feel like for us, a lot of internally kids of immigrants started with not necessarily being proud to be kids of immigrants. So turning that around, I heard this this weekend that uh, our weaknesses are embryos to our strengths. So it's like, you know, the same shit, like turning your weaknesses into strengths. So I think like that's what we do sometimes design wise and aesthetic wise. It's representing that. Um, It's like, how do we turn around the things that we weren't necessarily proud of? to be like, yo, actually we are proud of where we come from. Um, And as far as like how we approach collaborations or just working with people, it's just, it's pretty straightforward. It's like, it's product with purpose, product with intention. It's like, if we do this, why are we doing this? Like we don't, it's it's a little kind of reverse engineering in a way, because I feel like working with Vans and working with these larger corporations, like, is working two years in advance. And it's like, hold on, I don't even know why, like, what's the story here? And it's like, oh no, let's design it first and then create the story. And it's just like, yeah, it's it's been difficult to work that way, but we've always figured it out, at least because our intention's in the right place, even if we don't know what the exact story is. But it's just, if we're gonna create something, it's like, why? There's enough sneakers shirts hoodies in the world and brands in the world and that why is very important and if we can't answer that why then perhaps that this that means we shouldn't be doing this are there any collaborations that came through your way or projects that came your way that just didn't work out you don't have to say names but like what are some of those challenges and barriers to prevent a good working relationship with you it, it, it's been it's been plenty 
especially now more than ever. And this is nothing against anybody who does things like this. This is just what how we work. I can't do that. Like you're 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 cool. I'm cool. Let's be cool together. Like like I can't do that. There's a whole lot of that. <laughs> the world is too full of that stuff. Yeah, like I get it. Like it's like a cool collab, but it what does it really mean? Um, there's so many collaborative efforts right now that it's just like yo, if we're not doing some shit that's bigger than both of us, there's no reason to do it. I, you know, let's do, you know, I've been doing a lot of small collaborations and I know that might trip people out when I say no to a huge collaboration and then do something with, with the homie because he's a friend that I love, that I care for, that I know can have a, a benefit can be beneficial to his brand and the value of his brand if we were to collab together. And I think keeping that balance for us is important. Like as much as we, you know, we've done Vans and, you know, we've done several things from Adidas, Nike, on running, uh, like Instagram, HBO and Facebook. And I mean, the list goes on. So I think it's important that we always our enhanced reach of our community. Like I, I, we can never lose that touch. Like if we ever get so big to the point that it's not relatable or it's not, and I always want to humanize a brand, let people know it's, it's like humans back here. Like, so I feel like the way that our engagement and interaction is with our community and audience is very personal where people is not in our, comments just talking crazy shit it's like nah like it's 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 a, it's a person back here that actually gives a fuck so that's the energy so we care and you know so i, I think it's challenging when it's like friends that you can't that you feel like it's it's not the time for it but it's important for the longevity of like what we're doing uh, coming from uh person who with an association with a big brand, it's these things can be really complicated. So totally get it. I have a question in terms of the way that uh, back in 2016, it was hard to even talk about the immigrant community overall and these uh, diaspora communities with like real or with, um, with proper vocabulary that everyone understood. But now over time, I think we, uh, there's a stronger contingent of people that know how to talk about that and know how to navigate it, even approach these types of things. Have you seen corporations change over the past few years? I'm sure that there's people are much more educated in 2021 in the way they reach out, the way they talk about how to collab as opposed to six years ago. Must be wild. Yeah, for sure. I think corporations had to change. I would like to remove my ego from when I speak. Um, but I think a few years ago, I used to be super grateful, like talking to corporations. And now it's like, I'm, I'm very grateful because I'm, I'm grateful for life in itself. But yeah, I don't, it's not, it's no longer thank you for listening to me. It's like, y'all have to listen to us. It's that time now. It's you. This is not like a, oh, like, I'm so lucky to be in a chair with y'all in this space with y'all. It's like, no, yeah, you guys have to do this nowadays. And I think that has changed a lot because we were breaking through these doors, but now we're in here. 
you can't avoid the you can't avoid it at all. I think that they've corporations have hired a lot of great people to bridge these things together. So I'm not necessarily like happy or excited with corporations, but I'm excited and happy for the people they've brought in to help them, you know, because it's I think that's one thing that's important about every brand and corporation. It's not it's not just a name it's people there that's making it work. And I feel like I will say this, that my I do challenge brands and corporations now to put their money where their mouth is at, especially everybody after last year, just speaking about what they want to do for people of color, for the Black Lives Movement and so on. Like this is the year and the next few years are those is the time that everything you spoke about last year, where where where's the results of that? Where are those outcomes at? Where are those partnerships at? Where are those funds at? You know, so I think just holding them accountable and not even I'm not like a cancel culture person. I'm not I'm not I don't try to judge anything. I try to stay away from that. It's like, what can I do today to be better than yesterday? Um, so whoever is not going to help me is cool. Like, I got this. I don't need your help if you're not there. But at the same time, when when these corporations or these people are around me and they, they want to work with me, then I'm going to hold them accountable for some of the things that they, the, this narrative they want to shift into, like, okay, this is how you can do it. It's, it's no, like, it's always like doing things their way. It's like, nah, this is, that's part of you, part of these corporations, you know, supporting us is allowing us to do things how we know how to do it and supporting us that way. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I think that philosophy makes total sense. And also um, holding corporations accountable because you are in those conversations and also being a change agent, not by simply being in the room with them to also provide validity and also normalization without stigmatization, but, you know, for people's individual differences, nuances, because on the other side of it too, there are a lot of people in boardrooms that when they see what KOI does and they see your team hold yourselves to such a high standard of just humanity, it really does affect on the other side. I can I can vouch for that myself. So that's a really beautiful thing and appreciate you for that. I have a couple of uh, quick hitter questions. I know we're running closer to, to the end of the clock here, uh, but what surprised you most about this journey? Like top level, like any anyone, any ambassadors for KOI that have surprised you or just, you know, seeing a kid walk down the street with your, with your product? Like what have been like those, um, you know, ear perking and eye popping moments. I think the people wearing it. Um, and when I say the people just like in streetwear, uh, product placement is so important and sometimes even more important than the people that just having a community wear it. So to me, my our community wearing it, that's the most exciting shit. Walking down the street, seeing somebody wear it. Somebody texting me being like, yo, I'm at the airport. Somebody's wearing your, your sweater. Or like um, my high school teacher buying my shit. Or like um, my my friend who's a teacher at Compton High School having kids of immigrants, wearing it every day. And then having like these, fl- these like love flags, like towels that we made up on her um, in her classroom every day. I think that to me, that's the reason why we made it. 
Um, it wasn't, it was for the community. And inclusivity also means those people who will be considered artists, influencers, whatever that may, may you know. Um, so that's exciting too, like, but I think our community wearing it is the most important. The most, that's why we did it. So that's the full circle moment right there. Love that. Actually, that's my last question. What's your definition of community? So we say something at the office. Uh, Wella put this together, these words together. We said, um, unity within our community creates opportunity. Quotes like support your friends. When we started the company, I had to convince myself and learn that I'm only doing this for our people. This is only for people who understand. I don't need the whole world to follow kids of immigrants. I don't need people who don't get it. I need, I want to do something that support those who support me and have a circulation of abundance and support within our own people. And we didn't do, anytime we get sidetracked is when we're trying to convince or when we're trying to persuade or bring in people who don't understand who we are. So this ain't for them. And respectfully, this is just for our people. You know, I, I learned something from a good friend that told me, and I'm probably going to go over, but Trump was not politically correct. He spoke to the, he spoke for the people who voted for him. He didn't give a fuck if that shit was insulting and offending to us. Like, I don't care. I voted for the millions of people who voted for me. And if, and if we can learn anything from Trump, I'm sure there's not too much. I was like, when she told me, I was like, that makes sense. It's like, sometimes we try to be so politically correct. We try to, you know, the internet has turned us into a, a universal sort of population. And it's like, yo, I don't, you know, I'm not speaking with hate at all, but I'm just speaking to my people. If you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, it ain't for you. And that's okay. I'm okay with somebody saying like, oh, I don't fuck with KLI. That's, that's, that's cool. I respect that. Um, I'm doing some shit for the people that we care about, for the people we want to uplift and empower. And that's whether it's people of color, whether it's a white person, whoever it is. And, and you know, we're, we're beyond that too, you know? Um, so I think, and for us, community, it's not something we're trying to do. It's something, it's something that we are. Diversity Inclusivity is not something that we're trying to do. That's not the goal here. That's who we are. So we just show up that way and we represent that way and we do our best to uplift and elevate our people and our culture in a level that we can play ball with everyone else. Again, like when the, when the shit happened, even in 2016, like and the whole Trump stuff happened and it was like for, for me and for Wella, my co-founder, it was just like, let's just do what we can with what we have. Let's do it with the people who care about us. Let's focus on us. You know, I think sometimes the fight can be too much, which is to certain degrees is important. But it's some, sometimes it's too much about how people aren't helping us, how people aren't recognizing us, how people not... This, we need more of this. We need more of that. I get that. It's important. But how do I do that without that dependency on no one? 
I'm just, we're going to depend on us and our own people and our own community. If they fuck with us, they do amazing. If they don't fuck with us, amazing. That's not going to change how we feel about what we're going to do today. And I think that type of sort of approach of community has, you know, it's what created the community we have now. Cause it's like, yeah, we're not trying to get approvals from anyone. We're not trying to get the cosign from anyone. It's like, nah, it's us where we, you know, power in numbers and, you know, power in, in the culture that we have and learning how, you know, learning our culture capital, learning our community capital, our creative capital, you know, it was like, damn, I've been this whole time, I've been wanting what they had, not realizing that what I have is even richer. And well, not richer, it's just even, it's just as rich or just even more impactful because it's, it's mine, you know? So I feel like that's been internally our focus of community, not trying to gain people who don't get it. That's cool. You don't get it. That's awesome. You know, there, there will be people who do get it. Love that. That's amazing. We're not asking for approval. Yo, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us right now. This has been one of the best conversations I think I've had in a really long time. Appreciate you. Appreciate Well A. Appreciate your team. And also appreciate Kids of Immigrants. Y'all doing some real amazing work and you're inspiring a lot of people. So appreciate you. you and thanks. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening, everyone. That was a really great conversation with Daniel Buezo. Shout outs to him and the Kids of Immigrants crew uh, doing everything that we talk about. So that was it. Season eight, season premiere. Uh, you can find this podcast, First Generation Burden, on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast content. Please rate us and drop a review. It helps spread the good word. Go to firstgenburden.com for all the episodes. On Instagram, we're at firstgenburden. You can find me, your host, at rich underscore tu on various social media platforms. Also, check out the OG Magazine. Uh, these first four episodes are really dope collaboration with them. Uh, li- available in limited quantities. And if you're in Miami, check it out in person. And check out the Mini Cooper collaboration. Uh, links in the description for both of those things. For Mini Cooper, if you buy a car, uh, one of the special uh, collab cars, then a part of those proceeds go to the American Immigration Council, which is a beautiful thing. And thanks to Desjin team for their support. Thanks to you, the listener. See you next week. Be safe, everyone.